and welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about the power of teen horniness to overcome the odds so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Shatter Me by Tahara Mafi. Joining us to discuss this untouchable dystopia is Maggie, bookseller and young adult who is just barely too old to be a YA protagonist. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Uh, right at the top to address, uh, I'm dying, and I'm sorry for the audio quality, but I'm dying. Did Juliet touch you? Is that why you're dying? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so terrible. Oh my gosh. Um, another thing I want to address right at the top is that um, I know that Tahara Mafi has had some, like, real shitty online abuse because she's a Muslim and a writer in America in 2019. And uh, our official stance is that that's really shitty and she seems like a cool person. And we just wanted, we just want to talk about the bonkersness of her book, which also I kind of liked anyway, but I just really wanted to address that off the top that she seems like a cool person all around. Yeah. I didn't know that any of that about her and that does suck. I, in a really weird twist, I really liked this book. It's not, like, normally my jam at all, but I really liked the prose, and I found it very readable. So good job, I guess. Well, I mean, and that I know that that's probably a controversial opinion on this podcast, and we'll discuss it as we go forward, but... uh, yeah, I did really like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also just looking at like our shared notes thus far, I also feel like this is potentially a situation where Maggie is a person with like normal taste and normal exposure <laughs> to books, and she's like, "This wasn't good," and we're like, "We just read Witch and Wizard, which is like sort of this, <laughs> but infinity times shittier." And now we're like, "Oh God, I'm." I'm parched, I'm in the desert, this is like a half-full canteen at least, and I'm just gonna drink it down. (laughs) It could also be that I'm just a very picky person. Um, (laughs) As someone with an English degree who reads a lot of YA books and also, like, hopes to eventually write some YA books, I notice little writing things that are annoying a lot more than the average reader. But I do definitely think, like, if I was a teenager or like in middle school, even when I had read this book, I would have eaten it up so much. Yeah, it's um, well, let's let's get into it because it is very horny and it does use some like very like fan fiction, very romance novel tropes that I liked and that I thought were executed pretty well, but also in just like a bonkers way. <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting to me like Renata said we were just on I don't even own a television reading Witch and Wizard by James Patterson you should go over to I don't even own a television.com and listen to us on their show because we love them and that book was fucking insane (laughs) but we so we just read that we just read year one by Nora Roberts we recently read Red Rising which was a garbage dumpster fire heap of shit um and then we literally this and it's really interesting to me to look at this spread of four different dystopian more or less YA I think that Red Rising was theoretically an adult book and Year One was an adult book but these kind of chosen one dystopian narratives and what's the same and what's different and what borrows from things like the Hunger Games 
and when it works and when it doesn't. And like I said, like this one worked for me and was very interesting and I thought went in some different directions. Whereas like you look at something like Red Rising, which just feels like it was just directly ripped off from the Hunger Games and Battle Royale with very little and, and fucking Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I guess. I mean it's Witch and, and Wizard. That makes sense. <laughs> the wizards. Witch and Wizard. Oh my god. We can't we cannot <laughs> we can't talk read. about Witch and Wizard <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited to listen to that. We talked to Jay and Collision for literally like two hours about that book. Like even more even considering the parts we didn't record. And like anyway, Shatter Me though. It is <laughs> narrated in first person by Juliet. And a technique that overall I liked here is that it's there's some parts that are crossed out. So like she'll write like I'm trapped, and then cross it out, and then write, like, uh, now that's, I don't remember what it was. Or, um, oh, there's, when she's about to get a new cellmate, scratch out, roommate, and she's just sort of, like, reviving her story as she writes it. And I overall like that effect. I thought it was cool. Yeah, because Juliet's been, she's in this institution, she's been in solitary confinement for almost a year, And she has been staying sane by writing down all of her thoughts and feelings, like, in a journal. Mm -hmm. And she only has, like, so much ink and so much paper that she has to uh, ration throughout the day. And uh, she hears she's getting a roommate, and her roommate shows up, and it's a boy. And not only is it a boy, but it's a boy that she recognizes from her mysterious life before. And it's a hot boy. He is hot. It's a hot boy. That's very important. And right off the bat, he, there's like two twin beds or like twin cots, I guess, in the cell. And right away he pushes them together and like aggressively claims both beds and she sleeps on the floor because she doesn't want to like push the issue or have to touch a boy. And it's just this sort of like overwhelming like, Oh my god, like, just, you feel so bad for this girl, it's such a, such a shitty situation in which we find her, and, like, I, I felt for her, I also was, like, you know, it's, it is sort of, like, that's not necessarily a realistic situation that you would have, like, in an institution, you're probably gonna keep it, like, gender segregated, and, like, whatever, whatever, but it doesn't matter, it's just this, like, overwhelming, this is an unfair situation, sorry, buddy. Yeah, and right from the start, she is very she's freaking out a lot about the idea of this boy touching her mm-hmm. and it very quickly becomes clear that she is afraid that something will happen to her if he touches her but that something is, will happen to him I, that's what i meant that something will happen to him if he touches her and she's very vague about what that would be and is purposely but she also as i said she's been in solitary confinement and she des- is desperate for human contact mm-hmm. so a lot of the scratch outs are like he's he hasn't touched me and I'm really upset like crossed out I'm really glad except written better because her prose is actually really beautiful Mm -hmm. uh really weird but I'm into it yeah there's part she does a lot of like counting of things or like listing out details and I don't know it it definitely just has the feel of somebody who's been in solitary confinement for a year and is like counting every tile in the ceiling or whatever yeah like a lot of elaborate metaphors too Yeah. Um, But so uh, right off the bat, Adam doesn't seem to be uh, fitting in or not fitting in. Um, 
they're both having moments, exchanges where they're like, oh, I thought you were insane, but you seem normal. I thought you were insane, but you're not insane. And they're sort of like realizing that each of them is sane. Yes. And Adam hasn't been acclimating well to the prison. He doesn't he doesn't seem to be in a prison or a, an institutional mindset yet. Uh, he burns himself by picking up like their breakfast very quickly. And like in a, another bonkers, weird institutional thing, much like in Witch and Wizard. And hopefully that'll be the last time I mention that book. Uh, in order to shower, they're let out of their cell for like five minutes every day. And they have to wander in the dark to the showers and then in the dark, find soap and wash themselves and get back into their cell within <laughs> that five minute gap. And Which... this, this to me clearly just seemed like, well, I want them to shower, but it would be too embarrassing if they could see each other. <laughs> Which I'm not necessarily not into. <laughs> I was also very like confused. And maybe this is me reading too much into this or expecting too much out of this plot, but are there not other people in this hospital who Juliet could potentially accidentally bump into and murder, like, in the dark when they're running to the showers? Or do they have their own special tunnel to get to the shower for them specifically? Yeah, I mean, she does mention she can hear other people in the other showers. But also, it seems like it seems like the whole thing has been a test for Juliet, so maybe not. Maybe there weren't other people who were actually in danger. Yeah, I have no idea. But I would love to read about any of those characters instead of Juliet. (laughs) Uh, So Juliet and Adam are starting to sort of get along. Juliet finally tells Adam her name. And she, I think, around here, we find out some more of the, like... Her backstory. um... Yeah, her her backstory and uh, kind of, I think, what the the yeah, world we're, we're in a, is we're like. We're in a future dystopia where, like, the environment has been so damaged that food is scarce. Um, she talks a lot about how bird. There used to be birds that could fly. She heard about birds that could be- fly, but now she has a window and she has never seen a bird. Um, and the part of her backstory is, is of course, that her touch is deadly, and her parents were always shitty to her because of it. And then when she was when she was eight or when the kid was eight? I when think she was when eight she was, and the kid was younger. Okay. When she was eight, she met Adam for the first time. Oh, but then when she oh. was when she was thirteen, she accidentally killed a child in a supermarket. Yes. Yeah. He fell down and, and his mom and his mom was being mean to the kid and so she felt bad for him. So she offered it to him a hand to pull him up off the ground. But she like full on rogued him and he died. Yikes. And I think she kind of struggles with it partially because from what I remember, she like felt the power of it and it was like almost seductive. So it was hard for her to just take her hand away or whatever. Yeah. When she uses her power on people, it hurts them, but it feels like good and, and strengthening to her. Yeah. Which is kind of a cool element to it that I, I did enjoy and think could have been emphasized a little more throughout it because for the most part, it's just like, I'm a monster, but like, I don't actually like hurting people, but I'm a monster anyway. And I'm like, well, if you played more with her feeling conflicted about it because it is like enjoyable to her, then I mean, maybe that happens in the rest of the books in the series. I have not read them, but I think that would be really interesting. Uh, so we we ha- we see 
Juliet and Adam like kind of get closer, but she she's a nightmare one night and he like wakes her up and she's very much like you can't touch me and freaks out at him and he's hurt by this. Uh, and then eventually one day soldiers break into their their cell and Adam gets up and is taken away. And she realizes that Adam has the same tattoos that the soldiers have and that Adam has been a soldier this entire time who was put there to, like, test her. So the head of this part of the dystopia, whose name I'm going to call him Warren a hundred times, but his (laughs) name is Warner. Yes. Warner calls her out to meet with him, um, has her dragged by the soldiers to have an audience with him. And Adam is there and he tells her that he put Adam in the cell with her to make sure that she wasn't actually like a crazy murderer uh, because he really wants, he had heard of her powers and he wants to use her as a tool to torture people. Um, And he's obsessed with her power and he's obsessed with her and obsessed with, because it's not even using her. He's obsessed with having her join his side. Yes. Like he is convinced that she is going to eventually bow to his will and join him willingly. He's got kind of like a charming, like, I don't know, like, like Hannibal Lecter vibe. Like, in the- Oh, totally. And I kind of, for like, it doesn't say that he's British, but for no reason I read him as British because he like calls her love and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, you don't sound like an American boy. Yes, but, he reads and very Warner posh Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, and Adam is assigned to essentially, like, watch over her. And she's very betrayed by this because she, what we, we've heard from her so far in her flashbacks is that she knew Adam and Adam was very kind to her when they were children. And she has always carried a torch for him and trusted him. And she's very betrayed that he's one of the baddies now. And also, and it also seemed to her like like he didn't remember her at all. Yes. Um, so War- Warner Warner uh, <laughs> takes her to the headquarters of the dystopia, which is the reestablishment. Mm-hmm. And it is, as in all dystopian fiction, super fans. And she's disgusted with how fans it is because mm-hmm. it's just so nice. Yeah, and, like, everybody else in this world is living in, like, Hunger Games District 12 levels of poverty. I mean, we don't see a whole lot of that before at this point, but it definitely mentions that she's, like, there are people starving and that kind of stuff all the time. And we've heard that the landscape is devastated and ugly now, and it's like, oh, this beautiful place that everything is fancy and luscious and it's wasteful to her, which I was like, I agree with you. Yeah, Warner's eating straight up like Beauty and the Beast beasts every day. And uh, they, uh, so he, he, Warner gives her her own very fancy room with a connecting bathroom that she and Adam have to share, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> and honestly, how do I get that set up? Like, that's better than my current living situation. Step one, develop a superpower. Oh darn! Actually, yeah. I guess yeah. Well, step zero, I guess, is is go to school with these people. I don't know. Step one, get the power. And maybe step negative one is like become a dystopian society. But like Loki, we're already there. Yeah. Um, 
Here's what I want to address, and I have since read wiki summaries of the next few books, and I feel like this is sort of addressed, but throughout this whole book, I just kept thinking, like, her power is not that useful, like, at least with Rogue from X-Men. By the way, I've used Rogue's name as a verb, I think, at least once, and if you're not familiar with X-Men, you... That was probably confusing to you, and I'm so sorry, and you should watch X-Men. And uh, Rogue, of course, has the same power that if she touches people, she drains their energy from them. Hers also, um, it, she if you're a mutant, she'll take your mutant power. Eventually, she'll kill you if she touches you too long. But, like, also, she can fly and is super strong and stuff. And comics people don't at me, I know... I know that that didn't start out that way, but like I was about to at you. Hey, don't at me. <laughs> but like, as presented in most comics and movies, like as presented, she usually like has these other abilities that like are useful. Um, Juliet at first doesn't have this. Uh, she can only hurt people. Uh, so I mean, you can't like take her into a battlefield, right? She's just gonna get shot and die. Like, you can't, she's not, like, a long-distance weapon, um, and then you can't really use her even if you want to, like, torture people for information, because it seems like she'll kill you very quickly. Like, it's not like, oh, she'll touch you a little, and then you tell me stuff, or, like, she'll touch you more. Like, no, like, you're already dead, and I don't have my information from you, it seems like. Yeah, and, I mean, maybe they want to do, like, a, because there's, like, a part in this area, and I don't want to get ahead of Kate with the plot summary, but she has to touch somebody and kill them basically to show Warner her power. Like he makes her do that and it's very traumatic for her. And so maybe it's kind of a, like she's just going to walk into where they have these people who are being tortured and like threaten them basically by like touching another person. But that's the only way I can see it being actually that useful. Yeah. But also like they have guns though. Exactly. (laughs) And other weapons like still exist in this society. I think they're just like, well, she's pretty, so let's use her. Yeah. So uh, when I get to the end of the plot summary of this, I can reveal what I know, because there is actually more to it. But throughout this whole book, I was like, this doesn't seem helpful. <laughs> and I'll just say, the main reason that I was going to at you was because the reason that Rogue has those powers just feels very timely, what with the Captain Marvel movie having just come out. So it just it felt very timely mm-hmm. to mention that she got her powers because she stole them from Carol Danvers. Yeah, listen. Wow, spoilers <laughs> for like old comics. <laughs> um. So anyway, she uh, Juliet is given uh, this fancy room at the reestablishment headquarters uh, along with Adam, who has to stay with her, and he tells her there's cameras all throughout the room, but there are no cameras in the bathroom. And he goes to follow her into the bathroom and she freaks out. And then like immediately after he leaves the bathroom realizes that probably the reason he followed her in there was because he could talk to her there in a way he couldn't out in the regular room and like kind of beats herself up over it. Because he did say explicitly there's no cameras in the bathroom. Yeah. The other thing about this room that I feel like is such a hallmark of all of these kinds of like YA books is there's a huge closet full of beautiful dresses. And then he's <laughs> like, you have to put on a beautiful dress. And she's like, no, I'm, we'll stick to my beliefs and not wear your beautiful dresses. I'm just going to wear these rags. But then when she doesn't wear them, Warner gets very mad and he beats up Adam. And the, the uh, message there is that if she, anytime he's upset with her, he's going to beat up Adam. 
So she realizes she has she has to wear the beautiful clothes. <laughs> oh, she God. has no choice. God, I and just I, I love <laughs> I love this trope of like you're so pure you don't want to do nice things to yourself, but I'm going to force you to. <laughs> Right. <laughs> oh, it's such a like have your cake and eat it too. And you know what? I deserve this cake. Yeah. I work hard. <laughs> Let me eat it. <laughs> and when they're getting when she's getting dressed, um uh Adam says to her several times, like, you should wear the purple dress, you should wear the purple dress. So when she goes to put a dress on, she chooses the purple dress. And realizes that the reason he was so insistent was because he had smuggled her notebook out of the institution and had uh, stowed it away in the pocket of the purple dress. Uh, And so she immediately realizes that there's perhaps more to him than she was assuming after learning he was a soldier. Also, side note, love that that dress has pockets. Like, Warner Mm. really thinks of everything. So true. It's true. (laughs) Uh, so also, also uh, at some point, like she also won't eat the fancy Beauty and the Beast feast, and <laughs> and Warner's so mad about that that he pulls out a gun and shoots her plate, <laughs> <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> oh, it was so absurd! I loved it so much. <laughs> Warner also makes her touch um, one of the soldiers to demonstrate her power and she like freaks out because she's afraid she killed the guy uh but it turns out that she didn't she just hurt him real bad but he made her do it in front of all the other soldiers so that they would see how powerful she was and the next day he makes her come out for like a troop movement ceremony Mm -hmm. where after making all the soldiers salute him he calls out a soldier as a traitor and then murders him in front of all the other soldiers. Yep. Yikes. So then I guess somewhere around there, um, Adam finally gets her alone in the bathroom and turns on the shower because there might be microphones in the bathroom and uh, explains to her that like he, she probably doesn't remember him, but he knew her from when they were kids and he's been looking for her and he wants to protect her and he cares about her. And I think at this point he reveals he can touch her without being hurt. Um, oh yeah. I think, yes. I think you're right. And then it like gets real sexy because of course it does. Yes. Yes. And also Adam has, all these guys have tattoos and they're like lovingly described. And I feel like this is one of Tara Mafia's things that she thinks is hot and I'm fine with it. And she's I'm great. very on board with that. As yeah. a person who has tattoos and also loves tattoos, I'm I was a hundred percent on board for that. I was like, she did that for me. Yes. So um Adam has a, one of his many sexy sexy tattoos is a bird and of course she's been fixated on wanting to see a bird and if she sees one on Adam's flesh. But not only that it is the design of the bird is exactly like the bird that she that she has been seeing in her dreams for years. Yeah, and it, like it's in flight as she as she's been wishing. Yes, and the coloring is the same and everything, and it kind of freaks her out, but in like a, this is clearly my soulmate way. Yes. So she tries to make a deal with Warren to have him take Warren, the... Warren, you did it. Um, also, <laughs> uh, uh, one thing I do want to say about this confession of love that I, I liked and I thought was very sweet was that he talks about just remembering her as always being like very kind and like 
he would notice how kind she was to everyone, even though people were shitty to her. And this, again, I feel like is such a, like, uh, a fantasy, like, not fantasy in terms of dragons, but just, like, fantasy in terms of, like, I've been wishing that someone would notice how kind I was. I, I don't know. I feel like it's very wish fulfillment. That's the term that I want. It's like, oh, I'm this girl and I'm always nice and no one ever noticed how nice I am. But actually this hot bird tattoo boy did notice how nice I was and he liked it. And I I liked, too, also that it's not... An interesting thing throughout this is that Juliet does not like looking in mirrors and does not super describe herself in any sort of detail. And I feel like in a lot of these books, it's got that kind of like gosh, I'm so pretty, I don't even know how pretty I am thing going on. Yeah, like, I look average, I just have, like, very long, shiny hair, but it's, like, too shiny, it's distracting. And, like, (laughs) I'm, my boobs aren't very big, but I do have a good figure, I guess. Yeah, she never really does that. Yeah, and so it's, I liked, too, that we, there's not a lot of emphasis on what she looks like, and also that his thing is not like, oh, I saw you, and, like, you were so striking that I you know, couldn't look away. It's, you know, I saw you and over the years you were just so kind that yeah. I couldn't stop thinking about you. But but don't get good. it twisted. Oh yeah, I agree. But don't get it twisted. She still is pretty because Warner like has to comment like how pretty she is a couple of times. And obviously she has to wear her pretty dress and have her little Cinderella moment where it's like, wow, she looks lovely all cleaned up. And which is a trope in YA that I actually genuinely love. Um, yeah. But I, I kind of wish she was not pretty. Well, it's subjective, right? Yeah. Like, we don't really know what she looks like. We just know they think she's pretty. That's true. So she makes this deal with uh, Warner. Warner? Yes, with Warner. To <laughs> take the cameras out of her room. And he says, okay, well, I'll only do that if you'll use your power on me. Warner's... Got some kinks, which is fine. Yeah. Everybody has their thing. And we don't need to shame him for this. No. Except right. that it's not consensual. Yes. And she it refuses and eventually, like, gets to a point where she's like, okay, like, if you take the cameras out, I will do this for you. And he's like, great. And has Adam disable all the cameras. And they're like, yes, we can fuck now. Yeah. They don't yet. <laughs> but they really want to. <laughs> That's the the theme of this whole book is they they can, but are they gonna? They're waiting. There's this is this is an incredibly I mean it's not quite horny fairies level of horniness in this book, but it's a very high level of horniness, you and I am into it. Here's what I'll say in terms of like longing, I feel like it has more. It has a higher level of longing horniness, and the horny fairies books have more like oh we're so horny we're actually gonna fuck. Like yeah, there's, right. yeah. Yeah, I, I've read those books as well, and I enjoyed all of the horniness because that's really what I was here for. Uh, and that's what made me initially pick this book up because somebody I worked with at the bookstore where I work commented that, like, they, I think her actual exact words were like, they fuck on every other page in this book. In this, and I, in I, this one? In Shatter? Yeah. And I felt very. Your misled. coworker's a liar. Right? <laughs> not to not to call her out. She's lovely. No, but I heard she said something like that. And maybe she hadn't read it. I don't know. Or maybe it had been a long time. But I felt very misled when there was a lot of like 
almost something juicy happening and then like they got interrupted or whatever yeah i mean here's what i would say they want to fuck each other in every page like every page is imbued with the desire to fuck but but that's not the same i know i was like they they should choose their words more carefully because i don't like being misled about that yeah (laughs) they don't even i have this in my notes they don't even kiss until chapter 26 such a tease yeah (laughs) That is pretty. It's pretty good after that. Um, yeah. <laughs> back back to the plot. Aside from general horniness, Warner wanted Julia to touch him, and then she said she would, and then she just wouldn't actually do it. So then, to I don't know, punish her or whatever, whatever his kink is, he puts her in this like fucked up torture maze. Well, first he makes her wear like a very skimpy shorts and tank top, so a lot of like skin out in the open, a lot of deadly skin out. And then he puts her in this, like, fucked up torture maze with a toddler, a blindfolded toddler. And he's like, okay, you have to, like, save the baby. Um, And so, of course, she can't touch the toddler because, you know, she'll kill him. So that was wild. Yeah, there was also also this weird thing with it where, I don't know, I've held a lot of babies. And sure, they're, like, wiggly, but she talks about how she had to like balance the toddler on one hand via diaper to keep herself from touching him uh because the toddler's also blindfolded so he can't see her yeah and can't accept instructions to like on how to avoid the maids or whatever yes so he's just like wandering into like spikes and stuff and i've like i said i've I've held a lot of babies and you can definitely put two hands on a diaper also, like, I, I have not held a lot of babies, but do you, depending on how old this baby is, could you not also, like, touch the blindfold? Aren't you supposed to support baby's heads or something? Because I'm just picturing this baby, like, flopping around in her one hand that she's balancing. Well, and if, if the baby can walk. Yeah, if he's old enough to walk, he, uh, he's, his head is, his soft spot's probably not an issue anymore. He can hold his head up on his own. Valid. Um, I know nothing about child development. So sorry. <laughs> well, step one is don't put them into mazes blindfolded. Yes. Oh yeah, that's that was yeah. their first mistake for sure. I at least know that. Yeah, I mean, Christy mentions it in every Babysitters Club book. Rule one: <laughs> stay out of mazes <laughs> with your babies. Rule two: don't let them near people who have the ability to kill you with just a touch, because that's probably not the person you want to watch your child. Mm-hmm. Rule three: don't be fucking late to meetings. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, after the the baby maze torture chamber is over, Julia gets so mad that she like punches a wall. And she punches a hole into a wall. Yes. She also has developed Hulk strength. Yes. Um, So she and Adam have been created this plan. Like Adam's been like, I've been creating a plan for us to escape basically since before we got here because war is happening soon. And once war happens, that'll be the perfect time for us to like sneak out and not necessarily be missed immediately. So they have like go bags and everything. But I think after she comes back from almost killing the baby, yes. she's like, we should go now. Well, after she comes back, I also, we had done this slightly out of order. I see now that my notes, they kiss in the shower after this Hulk strength maze experience. And then Warner comes by the room. Uh, there's 
I'm imagining their base as being like a fancy hotel, and I know that can't be what it is, but that's always how it seemed to me. Anyway, there's a, a, a level seven alert going off. There's alarms, and everyone's just like evacuate or whatever. And Julia and Adam are like, oh, this is our chance. Like, these alarms are going off. Let's escape. But then Warner comes by, and he's like, hey, you guys aren't doing the thing you're supposed to do when this alarm goes off. And then they're like, we're going to go out the window now. Bye. <laughs> He also notices that, like, because they had been, like, almost fucking when he walked in. Yeah. And he's like, hey, like, your dress is all ripped. And he, I think he finds her notebook in her pocket when he's, like, trying to grab her dress. And he gets real mad about that. And I think that is kind of, like, the impetus of, like, we really, we got to extra leave now. Yeah. So they jump out the window. And while they're jumping out, Warren grabs Juliet's Warner. ankle. What? Warner. <laughs> Warner grabs Juliet's ankle and uh, doesn't get hurt. And Juliet's not sure if she hallucinated it or not. So she just pretends that it didn't happen. Yeah. Or like maybe, oh, maybe oh, I was like flying out the window and it was like my dress touching my skin and not his hand. Like maybe it didn't actually happen. It was like a, a fleeting touch that maybe did not happen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so she and Adam go on the run and Adam takes her to a exploded nuclear reactor because the background radiation kills the tracker that's in their blood. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a perfect date spot. I yes. mean, that's where I take all my first dates. I mean, I went on a date in a graveyard once, so I can't even. Mm-hmm. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it was pretty good. Um <laughs> Uh, but so they they go through this uh this nuclear and it it knocks out their their tracking ability and Adam when he first discovered this he also stole a tank and was just like <laughs> went back and told Warren like the tank stopped working because of radiation and Warren was like fucking whatever I guess I'll buy a new tank <laughs> yeah well he also was like I um I guess he had been sending Adam out in some covert mission Warner's dad is like president of the army or whatever. And so Warner gets to do, like, whatever weird shit he wants, I guess. But he didn't want his dad to know that he'd borrowed a tank for this, so he just, like, wrote it off as, like, a training expense or something. (laughs) A whole tank. Also, side note, I really hope somebody, like, some teen who loves this book has drawn some kind of magical fan art of Adam on a tank really heroically with like his bird tattoo exposed. Mm-hmm. I think that is everything that I need. We'll go on Tumblr after this. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, they take the tank, they go, Adam's got a younger brother, James, who's been living on his own in this kind of like warrior's parking garage where like small children live unattended. But also there's like one woman named Benny who makes them go to school and stuff. It's wild. Uh, James is very excited to meet Juliet because Adam has been telling James all about Juliet forever. And Juliet's like, oh my god, he likes me. Uh, It's (laughs) very horny. Um, And then Adam's soldier friend, Kenji, who this is my Warner-Warren situation. I kept calling him Kenzie because that is the name of a teen who I have to yell at at the library. (laughs) (laughs) Call up post at Kenzie. Calm down. (laughs) Uh, you're in the fucking library. But, uh, this is Kenji, who, uh, uh, seems cool or whatever. Um, he shows up, and Adam's like, how did you find me? And Kenji's like, 
he has some sort of, I don't remember, he has some sort of shady reason for how, and Adam's like, is he a traitor? I don't know. Um, and Kennedy's really beaten up, and essentially is like, after you left, like, they freaked out, they're looking for you, they're on their way, like, they're tracking you somehow, and I also am not who I seem, like, I also am not with them, like, I also was undercover for a different reason, and I know how to get us out of here. So he leads Adam and Juliet and James through... The parking garage. Through the parking garage, <laughs> and at one point, like... They, Adam and Juliet get captured, and Juliet cozies up to fucking War- Warner mm-hmm. and steals a gun from him and shoots him, and then runs off to save Adam, who's been captured and has had, like, the hell beaten out of him. And then they steal a car <laughs> and go and meet up with Kenji and James again to uh, go to this place that Kenji knows... And once they get there, it's like... It's called Omega Point, which is yeah. also very horny for fan fiction, but it's yes. different reasons. Um, and they all kind of, like, get taken care of, and Juliet meets Castle, who is the head of this, like, rebellion resistance organization. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he, and he, writes, he writes a lot of mystery novels. It's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> So Castle tells Juliet that lots of different people have powers, that he has powers, uh, he's like a telekinetic, and that he's never met anyone with a power just like hers before, but that like plenty of other people have them and she's not alone and she finds that very comforting. And he also thinks that because Adam is immune to her touch, he might also have some sort of power, which she also finds very comforting. And there's lots of other kids there. So James is really happy because like someone gave him chocolate and also he's playing with other kids and essentially like they want to take on the reestablishment and they're gearing up to do it and they want her to fight with them. And, and, and their whole thing is like that the reestablishment is lying about how bad the world is. Like castle is like, I know you think that the air is not breathable and all the animals are dead, but what if I told you that's not true and everything is actually fine and they're just being jerks? And she's like, I don't believe this because the world has to be dark and terrible. And I'm like, you know, that that's valid. Your life would make me a pessimist as well. I, I did like the bit where he, he says something like, she's like, I don't believe this. And he's like, yeah, I understand, like, you shouldn't believe everything you hear. And then, like, she acknowledges, like, oh, that was a burn. (laughs) (laughs) I do love that. I think Castle seems like he has great potential to be very sassy. Like, if we're comparing this to The Hunger Games, which I 100% was through this entire book series, um, or this whole book, because I didn't read the rest of them, I, he's, like, the Cinna character, which I like. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, also, the epilogue is that Juliet, they make her a special suit that will, like, help her focus her powers or whatever and help her, like, be able to touch people. And the epilogue is just everyone being, like, very horny for her in the suit. <laughs> <laughs> and it felt like a really fitting way to end this book. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, like I said, like, I 
we've read a lot of these recently and I I did think that this one was interesting and went in some directions and did some things that uh, the rest of them haven't necessarily done. And I mean, obviously, it's very hard to compare anything to Red Rising or James Patterson and be like, it's bad. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like I said, like I did genuinely enjoy reading it. I'll probably Wikipedia the, the sequels to see what happens in them. I did. And there's a couple things I want to tell you. Okay. Um, well, okay. One thing, first of all, that I uh, I knew just because I'd read summaries of the other of the other ones, just from like shelving them at the library and looking at them or whatever, and I knew that Julia ends up with Warner, and I was like, how the fuck? Like what? Because he's like such a villain in this, and she's so clearly meant to be with Adam. A of yeah. all. By the way, I'm spoiling everything. If you're listening to this and you care, I just, I, I'm sorry. Stop it. Uh, Adam and Warner are secretly brothers. Fun fact. Um, oh, wow. Twist. Uh, they are brothers. Their dad was very abusive, which is why Warner is like this. Adam wasn't raised with them. Like, Adam didn't. I don't know. Something happened. They weren't raised together. I already forgot the wiki, but they were brothers. Um, here's a fact that I highlighted and pasted because it's so horny. Um, <clears throat> Julia asks Adam, or sorry, Julia asks Warner about his tattoo, and he shows her one low on his abdomen that says, in all caps, hell is empty and all the devils are here. <laughs> <laughs> in his dick, I guess. <laughs> That's going to be my next tattoo. I don't know what y'all are talking about. That's the horniest thing I've read all day, and this book was super horny. <laughs> but anyway, um, Warner wasn't particularly interested in Juliet's power for, like, military reasons or whatever bullshit, because, like I said, it doesn't really make sense. But I guess his mom had, like, the opposite of that power, which was that it hurt her whenever anyone touched her, which fucking sucks for his mom. Um, and so he was hoping that somehow they could study Juliet's power and, like, cure his mom, which is, like, kind of sweet. Um, like, his met... And then he also reveals, like, a bunch of the stuff that was really fucked up in this one. Like, the baby, I guess, wasn't real. It was some kind of, like, simulated toddler in the death maze, and so she wasn't, like, actually ever in danger of actually killing a toddler. <laughs> And, like, the man that she had to attack had, like, done a crime. Like, he deserved it, basically. Like, he, like, retconned everything that he's in this book as being, like, fine. Oh, my God. Was the baby, like, a Renesmee Twilight movie situation? Oh, my God. I guess. I, like, I, I only did the wiki, so I don't have the whole details of, like, how he simulated the baby. But, like, that's <laughs> wild. I I also I have not read the Wikipedia summaries, but I have a friend who I talked to about this book who I don't think read it, but she heard. So this is like very third hand information and take it with a grain of salt. But I heard that Adam's power turns out to be something weird where he like absorbs Juliet's power. And so it's actually slowly killing him. And so every time she touches him, it's like secretly messing up his insides but then warner has a power because they're brothers that's like the opposite where he like neutralizes her power and that's why they're like totally meant to be or whatever and that's why she can touch both of them i don't know if that's real yeah that's that sounds good. that's about right um also julia eventually learns how to control her power so she can like stop doing it and just touch people normally if she wants to 
Well, that's good. I, I was I felt bad for her in the very beginning, especially where she's like, I've never been hugged. I just want human touch. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. That's really I, sad. So I'm just very curious as to like what Adam does that like he's not in in her good graces anymore that she's like with Warren instead. Yeah, because you'd have to be pretty messed up compared to Warner, like, to have her choose him over Adam. Adam seemed like a very nice, like, pure cinnamon roll in this book to me. I feel like this is like in the Horny Fairies books, where, like, by book three, I was like, I can't believe she was ever with the first fairy, whose name I don't remember. I was thinking the exact same thing as when I saw that you had put that in the um, the doc, like, that that, how you were so shocked that, that, yeah. he, that she was ever with him when reading backwards. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll follow any love triangle blindly until like. <laughs> <laughs> it's also like such a usual structure of a love triangle to me. I always like the guy in a love triangle who's like the plucky, nice best friend who she's not going to end up with. And she actually ends up with the one who's like, bad for her quote-unquote or like the Edward Cullen versus the Jacob or whatever even though Jacob has his issues and so I was but also in this I feel like Adam was like just boring enough that I totally if I read the rest of these books could get on board with her switching over to Warner yeah anyway we'll we'll link to the wiki if if y'all want to dive deep into what happens in these other books or I guess you could read them if you've got that kind of time <laughs> um, but for now, I think we should move on to our dramatic readings. Cool. Sounds good. All right. So, with our first dramatic reading, we're just going to open up in the prison slash asylum slash whatever uh, cell that Juliet is in, having just received a roommate slash cellmate. Uh, I will be Juliet, and Maggie will be Adam. My eyes open to two eyes, two lips, two ears, two eyebrows. I stifle my scream, my urgency to run, the crippling horror gripping my limbs. You're a b b b And you're a girl. He cocks an eyebrow. He leans away from my face. He grins, but he's not smiling, and I want to cry, my eyes desperate, terrified, darting toward the door I'd tried to open so many times I'd lost count. They'd lock me up with a boy. A boy. Dear God, they're trying to kill me. They've done it on purpose. To torture me, to torment me, to keep me from sleeping through the night ever again. His arms are tatted up, half sleeves to his elbows. His eyebrow is missing a ring they must have confiscated. Dark blue eyes, dark brown hair, sharp jawline, strong lean frame. Gorgeous. Scratched out. Dangerous. Terrifying. Horrible. He laughs and I fall off my bed and scuttle into the corner. He sizes up the meager pillow on the spare bed they shoved into the empty space this morning, the skimpy mattress and threadbare blanket hardly big enough to support his upper half. He glances at my bed, glances at his bed, shoves them both together with one hand, uses his foot to push the two metal frames to his side of the room, stretches out across the two mattresses, grabbing my pillow to fluff up under his neck. I've begun to shake. I bite my lip and try to bury myself in the dark corner. He's stolen my bed, my blanket, my pillow. I have nothing but the door. I will have nothing but the door. I will never fight back because I'm too petrified, too paralyzed, too paranoid. 
So you're what? Insane? Is that why you're here? Scratched out. I'm not insane. He props himself up enough to see my face. He laughs again. I'm not going to hurt you. I want to believe him. Scratched out. I don't believe him. What's your name? Scratched out. Or, I don't know how. This whole thing is scratched out. None of your business. What's your name? By the way, one thing I want to address real quickly here that we never like explicitly said as we rambled about this book, which is one thing I really like about her power in this situation is that I feel like in a lot of fantasy books or whatever, um, there would be this sort of persistent fear of like rape and sexual assault. And we are pretty quickly aware that that's actually not a danger for Juliet because anybody who tries it will will just die from touching her. And I like it. Yeah, I definitely like that as well. And I think I want to just say, even though I suggested this book for the podcast and I do think this book is bad and I originally gave up on reading it, I think Tahara Mafi seems like super cool. And I've read a couple of her middle grades books and they're actually really good. So I don't know what happened with this one, (laughs) but she has like a middle grade series that the first one is called Furthermore. And then the other one is Witchwood, and they're we actually can, we great. can get to that in Reader's Advisory. Uh, okay. I just I just wanted to talk real quick about um, you know, the rape and lack thereof in this book, which is very refreshing. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of, let's move on to our shower scene, where uh, Maggie will take a turn being Julia, and I'll be Adam. Cool. Why are you touching me? Because I can. He almost cracks a smile, and I almost sprout a pair of wings. I already have. What? I blink, suddenly sobered. What do you mean? That first night in the cell, you were screaming in your sleep. I wait. I wait. I wait forever. I touched your face, your hand. I brushed the length of your arm. He pulls back, and his eyes rest at my shoulder, trail down to my elbow, land on my wrist. I'm suspended in disbelief. I didn't know how to wake you up. You wouldn't wake up. So I sat back and watched you. I waited for you to stop screaming. That's not possible. Three words are all I manage. Put his hands become arms around my waist. His lips become a cheek pressed against my cheek, and his body is flush against mine, his skin touching me, touching me, touching me. And he's not screaming. He's not dying. He's not running away from me, and I'm crying. I'm choking. I'm shaking, shuddering, splintering into teardrops, and he's holding me the way no one has ever held me before. Like he wants me. Oof. So horny. (laughs) (laughs) The horniest. All right. And then our last dramatic reading is toward the end at Omega Point, and I will be a revolutionary detective writer, Castle, and uh, Maggie will be Juliet. We've been building for a long time, Juliet. We've been planning, organizing, mapping out our strategy for many years now. The collapse of our human society should not come as a surprise. We brought it upon ourselves. The question wasn't whether things would fall apart, only when. It was a waiting game. A question of who would try to take power and how they would try to use it. Fear is a great motivator. That's pathetic. I agree. Which is why part of my job is reviving the stalled hearts that have lost all hope. And to tell you that almost everything you've learned about the state of our world is a lie. 
I stop in place, nearly fall over. What do you mean? I mean, things are not nearly as bad as the reestablishment wants us to think they are. But there's no food? That they give you access to. The animals are kept hidden, genetically modified, raised on secret pastures. But the air, the seasons, the weather? Is not as bad as they'll have us believe. It's probably our only real problem, but it's one caused by the perverse manipulations of Mother Earth. Man-made manipulations that we can still fix. He turns to face me, focuses my mind with one steady gaze. There is still a chance to change things. We can provide fresh drinking water to all people. We can make sure crops are not regulated for profit. We can ensure that they are not genetically altered to benefit manufacturers. Our people are dying because we are feeding them poison. Animals are dying because we are forcing them to eat waste, forcing them to live in their own filth, caging them together, and abusing them. Plants are withering away because we are dumping chemicals into the earth that can make them hazardous to our health. But these are things we can fix. We are fed lies because believing them makes us weak, vulnerable, malleable. We depend on others for our food, health, sustenance. This cripples us, creates cowards of our people, slaves of our children. It's time for us to fight back. His eyes are bright with feeling, his fists clenched in fervor. His words are powerful, heavy with conviction, articulate and meaningful. I have no doubt he's swayed many people with such fanciful thoughts. Hope for a future that seems lost. Inspiration in a bleak world with nothing to offer. He is a natural leader, a talented orator. I have a hard time believing him. Yeah, I I don't hate this. <laughs> See, I love this message and I love the the kind of twist on dystopia where like, hey, there is hope in the world, but this is around the part where I originally gave up reading when I first read this book because at the very start of it, he just starts info dumping and something about it made me just go, "Ugh, why is this suddenly an environmental book when it could have been about the environment the whole time?" And I don't know, it just seemed lazy to me to just suddenly throw in like an environmental message, although I'm 100% down, like hashtag save the bees and et cetera. Because she didn't know, because they didn't let her go outside. That's true. But she did say that she missed the birds, which, side note, I am not a fan of birds. Um, (laughs) I very passionately do not like birds. So all the bird stuff in this book may also have made me not like it. That's fair. Um, so this has nothing to do with any of those dramatic readings, but at like three o'clock in the morning when I couldn't sleep because of sickness and I was finishing this book, I screen capped this line because I love it so much. Uh, I'm too poor to afford the luxury of hysteria right now, which I just thought was real good. I think I like was- that too. I had a couple lines, like especially at the beginning that I underlined. Like there was a part where it said like, it's when Adam is there and it's something like, there's never been another person here, never, blah, blah, blah. And then she says, like, never but yesterday. And I thought that sounded really nice. Yeah, I, I like this book. <laughs> <laughs> but let's move on to Would You Rather. Awesome. All right. Would you rather have a deadly skin, but also super strength and you can fly, because you stole it from Carol Danvers, or... Have deadly skin, but also your significant other and your nemesis are immune to it. 
Um, I obviously would want super strength, deadly skin, but super strength, and also I can fly. Uh, especially, I mean, I don't want to steal anything from Carol Danvers, but I do want to meet Carol Danvers. Mm-hmm. So maybe we could work something out. Yeah, maybe we could just borrow it. Maybe. Or maybe you could take it from her in a way where you don't have to murder her. Yeah. That would be at least slightly better. But yeah, no, I, I agree. I would rather have the deadly skin, super strength, and can fly. Because one, flying is dope. And two, if like random strangers die when they touch me, I would kind of be okay with that. <laughs> I'm like, please never touch me without my consent. <laughs> yeah. Well, either way, you get that with this scenario. Um, That's true. Yeah, I mean, the only thing is, um, you know, with with the rogue set of powers, you can't touch anyone, not even Gambit, no matter how sexy he is. (laughs) 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 But uh, they seem to have, like, worked their way around that, because they're both also pretty horny. So, yeah, I'll take the flight powers as well. All right. How about, (laughs) would you rather have to travel through the dark very quickly to take a shower or not be able to shower at all because there's no running water on Mars in your advanced future society. <laughs> uh, through the dark very quickly to take a shower. I think that I have been on the record several times about how future Mars is disgusting and I never want to go there. <laughs> future Mars is such a shithole. Literally. Literally. <laughs> Literally. Stay on Earth. Don't go there. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't, this is difficult because I don't want to go to future Mars. I also don't want to go to current Mars because it is a desolate wasteland and I like living here. But I think I'm going to have to go with not be able to shower at all because I'm a very clumsy person. And if I had to run through the dark to get to the shower and especially run through the dark to get back from the shower, I would definitely slip and hurt myself and potentially die. And I would rather be smelly than dead. Yeah, that that's a fair point. <laughs> Nonetheless, I'm not going to Mars, please. <laughs> Valid. I will be there alone and smelly. <laughs> Last up, would you rather eat a beautiful Beauty and the Beast style feast with Warner or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle the movie that only serves steaks and cakes? Well, obviously, like, I don't care. Thinking that you need a beautiful Beauty and the Beast feast clearly is disrespecting the integrity of steaks and cakes as individual (laughs) food items. They're obviously all you need. No sides, no anything else, just a steak and a cake. So I, of course, am sticking with our beloved sponsor, Steaks and Cakes. As a huge nerd for this podcast, because I love it and I listen to it literally every week or every two weeks whenever it comes out, I am so excited to say that I would eat at Steaks and Cakes. I don't eat steak like Renata, but I do eat cake on occasion and I, yeah, give me that cake. Yeah, you can fill up on cake. If you're (laughs) you're served a whole cake, that's a meal. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's plenty of cake. Oh, by the way, I keep meaning to address... uh, there is a Steaks and Cakes cookbook coming out that's being released. Um, people have tagged us on it in various social media. Thank you to everyone who's done that. Uh, we are aware we are not involved, but we wish them we wish them all the best with that important endeavor. That is amazing. 
Uh, I th- I'm also fairly sure that the Steaks and Cakes cookbook is also not affiliated with Christian Mingle the movie, just some other admirer of <laughs> Steaks and Cakes. <laughs> <laughs> That's even better. <sighs> All right. Well, good game, everyone. Let's move on to Reader's Advisory, where we suggest some books to read instead of or in addition to Shatter Me. Um, so straight up, I'm dying, and I didn't do my homework for this part. So, like, read The Hunger Games and watch X-Men. I'm out. (laughs) I mean, I think X-Men is a really good uh, touch point for this. Um, You know, there are the different powers. I think especially, we've already named Rogue several times. Um, And I, yeah, she's, it's the same. Rogue is the same as this. Uh, Rogue right now is starring in an ongoing series called Mr. and Mrs. X. It's written by Kelly Thompson. And I forgot to look up the artist, but I'll put him on the website. Um... Kelly Thompson also previously wrote a, I think it was just called Gambit and Rogue series about Gambit and Rogue as an engaged couple, and now they're married, so it's Mr. and Mrs. X. It's very charming. I like it very much. If you like Rogue and Gambit, you're you're a fool if you haven't already read this, but... How frequently are Gambit's cats in it? Uh, I mean, not as frequently as I would like, but of course what I would like is every page. Uh... <laughs> They are there. There is, they're not in the mini, they're not in the prequel miniseries, but he does ask her, he's like, I have an important question for you. And she's like, oh, and he's like, how do you feel about cats? And she's like, yeah, I like them. And then, um, and then they like riff on that Kate Beaton bit where Rogue absorbs a kitten and is too cute. And they just like (laughs) imagine that scenario together. And I was like, I would pledge my life for this comic now. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So I have a few things for Reader's Advisory. Feel free to take out any that make it too long. Nah, just Um, keep going. Just spit them out. Cool. So I uh, have two TV show recommendations. One is the show Pushing Daisies, which was tragic. He's got that problem too. Yeah, and it's adorable (laughs) and funny and lighthearted, and there's pies, and like he has the same power where he can't touch people or they die. And he gets around it with his lady friend by kissing through plastic wrap, which is hilarious. Um, And it's just a great show all around. It's really sad that it got canceled. Um, My other suggestion was more for like the YA readers who like dystopia, which is the show The Hundred, uh, which I have not finished, but I enjoyed it while I was watching it. And it's it's fun, cool and edgy if you're into that. Um, and then I have three book recommendations because that's what I do. I'm a bookseller and yeah. a YA bookseller specifically. So um, one is a pretty recent one. It's called Seafire by Natalie Parker. Um, and it's a dystopian future with an all-girl pirate crew, which is everything I've ever wanted in a book. Uh, and it's got some really cool characters. There's like a girl who speaks in sign language in it and it has lots of diversity, which is awesome. And it is getting a sequel this year that I'm very excited about. Um, and then my other two, another one is a dystopian and that one's the gone series by Michael Grant. Um, it's definitely dark and has a lot of the edginess of this book, but not as poetic and pretty. Um, but it's good for like boy readers I would say not that any book is like gendered, but like some people care about that or whatever. Um, I will say Gone is like very good. Like I still am upset and stick to my stomach when I think about things that happened in the first Gone book. Like if you were, if you were a squeamish person, like don't read Gone, but they are popular. 
among yeah, people it, who do like gross things. Right. And they get more gross as they go on. I read all of those books. And by the time I got to the last one, I had like aged out of them pretty much. And I was like, wow, this is disgusting. Why did I read this? Um, but the first couple I did like, and I think it's got some cool characters and stuff. Um, but yeah, then my last one is a fantasy thing instead of dystopian, but it's Graceling by Kristen Kishore or Kishore. I don't know how to say her name. Um, and that one, there's a girl who is graced in this magical world with the power to kill, uh, which is very similar to this. And she did like has psychological torment about it as well, but it's super good. And I read that book in like three hours and it's beautiful and has lots of really good character development. And there is a good like sexy plot line with a romance that turns out a little darker than you think but it's really good so yeah read it yeah the gracing trilogy is top notch um i've got some other ones but uh, i'll move on and i'll just post those on our website which is of course worstbestsellers.com you can revisit all of these things we just suggested and also some other ones and now we'll move on to our candy pairing where we suggest a candy to accompany this book so my candy pairing for this book would be Thin Mints, the Girl Scout cookie. Because mm. um, while I know that they're very popular, they are not necessarily usually my favorite Girl Scout cookie. They are not my go-to. That would be lemonades, which are amazing. Mm, and I wish they had too. them when we were Girl Scouts. But um, they are very tasty. And when I do encounter them and I eat them, I always have that like, oh, that's right. These are good. <laughs> So that's why I picked that for this book. And my candy pairing was cinnamon rock candy um, because you have to like shatter it when you make Ooh. it. So shatter me. It's the whole thing. Plus, I think it looks much prettier than it actually tastes. And it kind of hurts your teeth and mouth and soul. <laughs> Uh, mine is Twinkies because, you know, they'll famously will survive the apocalypse or whatever. Um, <laughs> also, I like Twinkies. Also, Twinkies are, like, kind of phallic, and this book is so horny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That's <laughs> um, that's our candies. And now we'll move on to The Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Maggie can choose which most enhances the book or uh, choose paper, which is to leave it as is. All right. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book, he would be a resistant soldier undercover in uh, Warner, Warner's army. Um, sort of like Kenji is. And he would be working to help undermine the reestablishment and help anyone escape if they need it to. And uh, once Adam and Juliet escape, uh, the Rock would kind of run interference and sort of confuse Werner and send the soldiers running off in the wrong direction um, so that he could escape as well to help Adam and Juliet and James and Kenji safely get to uh, the Omega point to the rest of the resistance without all the interference from Warner and the rest of his like soldier goons. And the rest of the book would mostly play out just as it does happen, except there would not be all those like extra confrontations and stuff in the weird orphan parking garage. They would just like get straight to the point. Um. If Wolverine were in this book, uh, Juliet would be rogue and it would just be X-Men. 
<laughs> but uh, in lieu of that, I, I think Wolverine would be associated with the Resistance, but he would not live at Omega Point. He would be kind of, you know, because you can't, you can't keep Wolverine down. He's got to be, like, out and about roaming for, you know, caves and drinks and things. So he'd be, like, temporarily living in a parking garage slash cave near... Um, where Adam's brother and those other stray children were living. And he'd, like, kind of keep an eye on the kids. And obviously, being a noted mentor of teen girls, he would be very fond of Julia when she shows up. And so he would tip them off when Warner and, and co. were coming for them so that... Um, I see now, actually, that Kate and I have written pretty much the same thing. Um <laughs> Well, it would be that, though. Like, Wolverine would tip them off, and then they would all get to go to Omega Point together uh, instead of being separated at that crucial moment. All right. I like both of these options so much, uh, but I think I'm going to have to go with Snicked because I love the, like, angst that Wolverine would add to this book. It's already so angsty and, like, uses the word shatter every 20 seconds mm-hmm. and all that. But I would love some interspersed, like, Wolverine being angsty in his sadness cave. And he would be a, a very good mentor to Juliet. So I'm on board for that. Yeah. Any book with a teenage girl could benefit from Wolverine so much. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, of course, of course, we all win, and of course, we all know that Wolverine and The Rock are going to make out at Omega Point at some point. So we all win. <laughs> oh, totally. <sighs> all right. Uh, what do we think the moral of the story is? I would say the moral of the story is that Rogue deserves more respect. Who is disrespecting <laughs> Rogue? I feel like a lot of people kind of like blow her off on the internet. Well, and she's a woman, so probably men disrespect her or whatever. God, fucking men. <laughs> like, that's a shitty power to have. Like, it really is. And I know it comes up whenever, like, people are talking about the movie and, like, fucking Xavier being like, or who was it? No, it's Aurora, who's like, all our powers are a gift. And it's like, fuck no, they're not a rain lady. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Uh, and my moral of the story was, if you're pretty enough, eventually someone will want to fuck you so badly, they will literally risk death to touch you. Pretty enough or kind enough in third or grade. <laughs> in third grade, right, exactly. <laughs> someone will remember that for the next 15 years. Uh, <laughs> my moral of the story is a, is a quote from the Sasha Baron Cohen movie Bruno, which is forgotten <laughs> by many, quoted frequently by a select f- circle of friends and I. This is the movie where he played like a fashionista, and there's um, anyway, he says that fashion saves more lives than doctors, and he, <laughs> and he gets a bunch of people to agree with this statement, and it's incredible. But in Julia's case, kind of true, I feel. Fashion yeah, yeah. does save more lives than doctors. Uh... <laughs> All right, now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte gets to share his opinions on the book. (coughs) Yeah, you know, Duarte, you're right. And this is something I actually have wondered about Rogue's powers as well. Like, does it work on a cat? Can she pet a cat? I don't know. I don't know that it's come up. Not even with Gambit's cats, now that I think about it. And, you know, I feel like when Castle 
kind of reveals that the animals are all safe somewhere else. Um, that really does explain why there aren't any other cats in the book. So I can only imagine that in the sequels, they'll probably get to meet all of these animals that are kept hidden away places. And then we'll probably get a lot of cat characters. Mm. Oh man, does that just, can you just imagine just like a room full of all the cats? Oh, I yes, <laughs> it'll be just like that hallway full of bunnies in that article that you sent me the other day. Uh, <sighs> I would read that book over any of the sequels to this one. <laughs> a dream. All right. Well, Duarte, thank you so much for reading this. And um, we'll talk to you later. Now, do any humans have any closing thoughts? Sorry again for the audio quality and sorry in advance for the audio quality on the next episode, which will also probably not be great. Because uh, we're recording it in like 48 hours. <laughs> just, it's fine. Just go, go find those healer twins this weekend. That's exactly. your quest. I think my closing thought is this book, I think, bothered me because the writing style is very beautiful sometimes. But at other times, if you look at it for more than like two seconds, it's like, that doesn't actually make any sense. It just kind of sounds pretty, which is a writing style that kind of gets under my skin on occasion. I remember specifically, there's like a part in the beginning part where she's in her asylum cell and she's thinking about raindrops and she gives this whole like beautiful paragraph that I was like, oh, I really love this, where she's talking about like this raindrop and comparing it to herself very clearly. It's like a metaphor. And then at the end of the paragraph, she unnecessarily has to be like, I am a raindrop. And I'm like, I think we got that from all the stuff you just said about the raindrop and how it sounds very much like your life situation. Um, but I still think Tahara Mafi seems cool. Uh, she has a recent YA book that's like more autobiographical that's called A Very Large Expansive Sea. And I've heard that is good. Uh, and she has her middle grades books that I have read bits of and really enjoyed so this this series is not my jam but she still seems cool so stop bullying her on twitter mean people yeah yeah that's my main takeaway too like don't be don't be rude to tahara mafi she doesn't deserve it i mean i guess really don't be rude to like anybody except for nazis but we'll just dial <laughs> in on this for right now 100 yeah i guess uh as as usual, our moral also is uh, is most things are better than James Patterson books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I don't I've never read any James Patterson. I have no interest in doing so. But I help put out the new books in my bookstore every week when they drop on Tuesdays. And every week, without fail, there is something James Patterson, and I just have to laugh every time. <laughs> yeah. He's out here. He's doing it. <laughs> His ghostwriters are yeah. <laughs> did that. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's close this on down by saying that if you would like some more worst bestsellers on the internet, you can like us on Facebook, where we're facebook.com slash worst bestsellers. We're on Twitter at worst bestseller with no S because we scratched out the S in a fit of manic journaling. <laughs> uh, we have a Goodreads group that you can access from our website, worstbestsellers.com. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, basically anywhere podcasts are given away for free because you don't sell podcasts. 
Uh, if you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review us. When you rate and review us, it pushes us up a little bit on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. If you don't rate and review us, this is normally where I'd put a joke, but I'm very tired. So I'm going to skip that for today. If Imagine you, I said something very If you funny. don't rate and review us, we're going to put you in that baby maze. <laughs> baby maze, baby torture maze. It'll be all on you. <laughs> You can also subscribe to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Uh, Patreon is a platform where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation uh, that goes to us to do things like pay our editor and pay our hosting fees and buy new equipment. And buy uh, buy cold medicine. Buy cold medicine. Yes. Thank (laughs) you all for the cold medicine that I bought this week. <laughs> that money came straight from you, probably. Pay our taxes. <laughs> you get to pay our taxes, which I did last weekend. Uh, and in return, you get perks like a newsletter uh, and a postcard in the mail and all sorts of other things. Uh, we also, as I said, have a merch store that you can get to by going to our website and clicking merch. And about a, a week from the Thursday after this posts... Thursday after you're listening to this, if you listen to it the first day, we will be uh, at Trident Books on Newberry Street in Boston, Thursday, April 18th at 7 p.m., doing a live show with Meredith Goldstein from the Boston Globe, friend of the show. We're going to be discussing Interview with a Vampire. It's free. Please come so we look popular. <laughs> so we so we look popular and we feel popular. Yes. <laughs> If you want to follow me personally on Twitter and also sometimes like pictures of Duarte, you can follow me at Renata Snacks. Uh, if you want to follow me personally on social media, I am at 14 across. Is this where I get yeah, my Ma- social Maggie, where can we find you? Where are you hiding? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter where I occasionally tweet. Uh, my handle is at Maggie Air Quotes. So M-A-G-G-I-E-A-I. R-Q-U-O-T-E-S. I also have an Instagram. It's private, but I'll probably let you follow me because I really don't care. I don't know why it's private at this point. Um, where I post lots of pictures of my face because I am cute. Yeah. And also my cats, who are very cute. Yeah. And, <laughs> and my uh, name on there is Maggie in air quotes. Uh, so just put the word in in there. Otherwise, I wanted to shout out my friend Caitlin, who actually got me into this podcast originally. Uh, She has a very cool book blog that is, well, it's not exactly a book blog. It's kind of an everything blog, but she talks about books a lot. And uh, her website for that is hilliterate.com. So illiterate with an H at the front. And she's great. So shout out to Caitlin. That's a good pun. So that's a good place to start. Um, well, a good place to start is, of course, listening to and recommending Worst Bestsellers, and then follow it up with a pun. Five stars. Uh, great. Well, Maggie, thanks so much for joining us and bringing this, uh, frankly delightful book to the table. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. This is low-key a dream come true. I've had a lovely time. (laughs) And we'll be back in two weeks with A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness. Which I'm kind of excited to check out. It seems cool. <laughs> I hope we've oh, I've read that. <laughs> I hope we've set ourselves up with a few weeks of enjoyable books. because uh, I could use that. Uh all right. Uh Maggie, thanks again for joining us. Thanks to everyone for listening and bye. 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 <laughs>